week of Christmas, if you will, and I want to talk about the central theme of Christianity. What Christianity, in, in all fairness, it, you know, is a foundational root, which is the virgin birth. You say, well, preacher, I thought it was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is what saves a man, woman, or child. You can't have that without the virgin birth. Uh, any man, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people died on a cross. One got up out of the grave, Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, had Jesus Christ had, and we'll talk about this in here, had Jesus had an earthly father, the cross would have been a moot point, you understand. So the central, the, 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 the center foundational thought of Christianity must reign and be held to the virgin birth. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. We're going to go also to Luke chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and uh, we're going to look in verse 18. Matthew 1 and in verse 18. Now the Bible says this, Matthew chapter 1, I'll give you a second or two to get there. Look in verse 18. It says, now uh, the birth of Jesus was, Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph. Now guys, if you underscore, mark, highlight, or anything in your Bible, I want you to circle that word espouse there. Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together. That's important. Uh, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public exa example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then, Jesus, and then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for all that you've done, for who and what you are. We pray now for the continued direction, guidance, and mercy. Uh, Lord, I pray that you bless this message to our hearts, our ears, our minds today. Help us, dear God, have a greater respect, both of uh, the, uh, the tools, the, the vessels that you use to bring forth uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that the prophecy may be fulfilled, and dear God, that salvation may be granted unto all who would be willing to receive it. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask these things, amen and amen. So just real quick here, guys, um, the, the screens, got, it was an afterthought this morning uh, with everything going on uh, this week and everything going on in the work. What we, we got here earlier this morning to set everything up, as you remember, we took, uh, we took everything down to, to Calvary on Sunday night. And uh, so, so Nisi and I came in about eight this morning. She hoovered all over the place, got lights put up, got everything back. So uh, I'm, I'm saying that to say this, not making an excuse. I'm just saying, um, you know, don't depend on the screen this morning. Just listen, if you will, follow along the scriptures, and I'll try to bring forth what we have on the screen as best as we can. So we want to look at the virgin birth. And again, we've already talked about it being a chief cornerstone, a center ground, a foundational teaching of Christianity. If you remove uh, the virgin birth, if you take that out, everything, and I mean everything in our beliefs of Christianity will crumble, okay? That, that foundation is destroyed. 
So the first thing I want us to look at today is I want to look a little bit in society, but really religious society, just briefly. There's a three-point introduction today, one main point, and then we'll get into several little ideas here concerning this virgin birth this morning. So the virginity of Christ's birth, I want you to see first this morning a common survey, a common survey. Did you know today, guys, that only 6% of adults... Uh, in the United Kingdom, identify as practicing Christians. This is a new 2022, uh, 2022 survey. Only 6% identify as practicing Christians. Now, here's the kicker. 42% say they are non-practicing Christians, and one in three non-Christians say they want to know more about Jesus Christ. Now, again, that last part, that's good news. Non-Christians want to know more about Jesus Christ. Hey, we're here. That's why we're here, man. Let's let them know. But that middle, that middle statistic there, that 42%, that's, that's, that's called an oxymoron, okay? Um, 42% say they are non-practicing Christians. Beloved, you, if you were non-practicing Christ-like qualities, I don't care if you're saved or lost. I care if you're lost, but you're not a Christian. Christianity is a lifestyle, not a label. Anybody that will teach you different is lying to you, okay? Acts chapter, Acts chapter 11 is very clear. When Paul and Barnabas had sat there and taught them for in Antioch for a year, amen, when they started teaching them uh, the ways of Jesus Christ, the disciples, they were already saved and born again. The church was already established. A church is only made up of believers in Jesus Christ, those who are saved. If you take a body of, of uh, lost people, that is not a church. A church is a saved, called out assembly of believing people on the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are born again. That's what it is, okay? From that point forward, you practice Christianity. That's what gives you the label, okay? So I'm, I'm saying that because we have a tendency, especially in our nation here, to say, well, I, you know, they're a Christian, they're not a Christian. Stop using that word. They're either saved or they're lost. Their lifestyle dictates whether they're a Christian. And I'll tell you who will call them a Christian, those who typically are not, because they'll best represent who and what Jesus Christ is. So that's a common survey. When we begin to look at what, uh, of what people believe in our society today, now, over 25%, you say, well, preacher, how in the world can only 6% of 94 plus million people claim they are practicing Christians. How can people be so ignorant to what the word Christian is? 42% say they're non-practicing. Well, over 25% of Church of England clergy claim that they do not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll say that to you again. Over 25% of occupational gown-wearing clergy who get up and teach the church so-called Bible, which they don't teach the Bible, don't even believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And we wonder why only 6% proclaim to be practicing Christian. All right, the, the fish rots from the head down. Does that make sense to you this morning? Over 20 years ago, Protestant students were surveyed and found that 56% of these Protestant students studying for the ministry rejected the idea of the virgin birth. That's the legacy of modern liberalism, and that's where we are today. You want to know why society doesn't believe in the virgin birth? Because the clowns wearing the gowns in the pulpits, they don't believe in the virgin birth, nor do they believe in eternal security, nor do they believe somebody can even know they're going to heaven, and that's out of their own words after a funeral that they preached. That's a common survey today. 
Now, and I'm saying that none of this should be a surprise. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, uh, he tells us verses 3 and 4, first part, he says, For what if, what if uh, some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? He said, God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. Guys, you know what? Our theology today has never been based on majority rule. And again, I was talking about the Church of England. Might as well, that's the same thing as a Catholic, if you will. They're just the same thing. And then you got this group of Protestants over here. Why are they called Protestants? Because they protested against uh, the Catholic Church, and therefore they became Protestant. And then you got Bible believers right here who've never been part of the Catholic Church and never protested anything. They called Baptists. Amen? And they're called Baptists who adhere to the Baptist distinctives, the very things that was taught in Acts chapter 11, as Paul and Barnabas taught there at the church in Antioch. That's where we are. And our theology, our Bible-believing theology, has never been based upon majority rule. As a matter of fact, many times we were in the minority and still are today. Anyone who denies the virgin birth and the related deity of Jesus Christ are simply just ignoring the truth. That's all there is to it. So we want to open up the eyes. We want to open up our eyes, open up our eyes of understanding, and we understand that's the common survey that we live in today. But I want you to see the criteria that is set, the criteria uh, that is set. Uh, Guys, it's been said that the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. Upon it is the whole superstructure of Christian theology depends. And I agree with that. I agree with that. The reality, the entire essence of Christianity today is predicated on the fact that Jesus is God in human flesh. Yes, something that's made very clear in his birth, the birth of Jesus Christ. But it had to be the virgin birth, which is the essential doctrine, for if Jesus Christ had a human father, I mentioned this earlier, then the Bible is untrustworthy. It's just untrustworthy. Because the Bible claims that he did not have an earthly father. Furthermore, furthermore, if he had an earthly father, he would not be sinless in his life. To accomplish this, guys, he had to be born of a virgin. Just as it was prophesied, he had to be God and uh, such become Jesus, the God-man, 100% deity, 100% humanity. And Matthew presents both human and divine natures of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1. Now there's certain liberal theologians that try to deal with, with this and try to make it as a problem. And this is what they'll say. They'll say, well, yes, uh, we do agree that this is a, an account of the virgin birth. But after all... The Gospel of Matthew was written by a well-meaning fellow who was not inspired by God. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever read this before, but yeah. This is what the liberals say. The liberal theologians say uh, that, that, that um, around the time which he wrote it was between A.D. 40 and A.D. 70. They said there were a lot of virgin birth myths floating around at the time. Guys, this is what modern theologians, these are what the men who say, well, a better, a more accurate word for this would be such and such. These are the men who read from the ESV, the NIV, and all of that garbage. Do you see what's wrong with getting in and allowing modern versions in your head? You start believing nonsense like this. Let me tell you something. I'll make it very clear. A modern version of the Bible today, and I'm talking about everything that's got the word new in front of it, or anything outside of the King James, is as related to the devil as a pig is a sow, hands down. Make it very clear this morning. You should not have anything to, uh, to do with it. Now, saying that, that's the criteria set. The criteria, he had to be born of a virgin. He had, he had to become Jesus, 
the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. Not 50-50, 100-100. Now, so how do we know this? The consecrated scriptures. The consecrated scriptures. Isaiah 7, 14 tells us this. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's written 750 years prior to the birth of Christ. Okay? And then Jeremiah tells us this, Jeremiah chapter 30, uh, 31, verse 22. How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. All right, so some will say that it was a mystery, okay, that the Messiah would, uh, would be God. They'll, and here's what they will do. They'll link 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I do have this on the screen, I believe. Yep. So they'll say that it was a mystery that Jesus Christ was going to be God. They said it was a mystery. Now, let me back up. They say it is a mystery that the Messiah, or the Savior of Israel, would be God. And this is the verse they use, verse 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, world received up in glory. Now, I understand this, the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. And they will use this and say that it was a mystery. And, and, and I'm not talking about liberal theologians now. I'm talking about many, many Bible-believing men, good men. And they'll say that the, the fact that, that, that Jesus would be the Messiah, or the Messiah would be God, the Savior of, of the nation of Israel, the Savior of the world, they'll say that it was hidden up until Paul's ministry. And, and that's not true, guys. Go back to our text this morning. Go back to our text in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says this, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, which being interpreted is what? God with us. <laughs> If the Messiah is the Savior of the world, okay, and his name means God with us, then it was never hidden that the Messiah was going to be God, and therefore the God was going to be the God-man, Jesus Christ. We read that in Isaiah 7, 14. So that, that's not the mystery of godliness that Paul was speaking about in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So I want us to look at this virgin birth this morning. I want us to see... Some vital things. I, really, I do really want to kind of focus on Mary this morning. I do. Um, but the first thing I want to look at in this virgin birth, I want to see the conception this morning. Look in verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. We'll get to Luke 1 here in a little while. Look at the conception. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus uh, Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now guys, he, you know what tends to happen we read the Christmas story, especially those of us who have been saved for a long time, and, and we hear it every year, and we read it every year, and maybe you started reading the New Testament in the front of the year, and, and, or maybe you've read it multiple times this year. I, here's what I hope, personally. I hope the multiplicity of reading or hearing the story of the virgin birth and, and her conceiving of the Holy Ghost, I hope it hasn't desensitized you to the magnificence of this event. I mean, of the, the beauty of what has happened in verse 18. I mean, the immaculate conception, if you will. I mean, it is an unbelievable supernatural event, and we should always look at it like that. So here, Matthew tells us that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God. And I just want to show you a few things here in this verse, and I think is personally fascinating. Here's something that's really cool. That word birth 
okay, that you see here in verse 18, is the same term in the Greek word, in the Greek language, which is translated in Matthew 1.1 as generation or genealogy, okay, as generation or genealogy. In other words, Matthew is simply given the genealogy, if you will, of Jesus from a human side in verse 1-1. The book, you know, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then by the time we get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, guess what he's given now? Now he's given the divine side of Jesus Christ. Who is he? 100% God, 100% man. All right? Now again, verse 18, now the birth. It says the birth of Jesus Christ is on this one. Same word. That's just cool to me. I think that's really neat. And, and then it follows, uh, the following statement about Jesus being conceived of the Holy Spirit of God. So in Matthew chapter 1, we have this presentation. We have two sides of the same genealogy or, 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 or generation. So let's first look today. First thing I want you to see is I want you to see Mary as a person. So Mary as a person. Let's see where we are up there. Mary as a person. That's the first thing I want us to look at here. Look at there in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary. All right, so I'm going to give you three verses. We're going to turn to each one of them. You'll see them on the screen already. I want us to see first and foremost Mary's identity. We don't know a whole lot about Mary, but here's what we can find. Flip over to John chapter 19 with me. John chapter 19, just real quick this morning. John chapter 19, looking at verse 25. The Bible says, Now there stood uh, by the cross Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Okay, so within her immediate family, we know that Mary had a sister, all right, who apparently was also named Mary, which was, uh, uh, wasn't necessarily uncommon in those days. Nothing wrong with that. All right, so we see in John 19 a few things about her. Number one, we see that she has a sister. Go to Luke chapter 1 with me. Luke chapter 1, and you can hold your place there because we will get into Luke here in just a few minutes. Uh, but Luke chapter 1, look in the first part of verse 36. Here's another little, little tidbit we know about Mary. Again, we don't know a whole lot. We know she had a sister, obviously named Mary, I guess. Verse 36, uh, and behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, also, uh, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. So we also, not, not who's the son? We know the son was John the Baptist, right? This is Zachariah's wife. So not only do we find out that Mary has a sister named Mary, now we know that she has a, um, a cousin by the name of Elizabeth, all right? Look at Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 with me. Luke chapter 3, verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years old of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, okay? The son of Heli. So we can, we can assume that, it, that, Luke is, uh, that Luke's um, direction and what he's talking about here uh, is coming through this genealogy that we're given uh, this, uh, this son's name, or this, I'm sorry, the, uh, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. So we're looking there now as we see this genealogy. With that, here's the relationship that's coming forth from Joseph's side, as we know that would have been her father-in-law. So he's got a father-in-law named Heli, as far as we know. Uh, we got, he's got, she's got a cousin by the name of Elizabeth, and she's got a sister by the name of Mary. So that's her identity. Again, we don't know a lot about her, but we do know now a bit of her identity. The second thing I want you to see here concerning Mary is I want you to see Mary's integrity. This is something that really stuck with me, and I brought, I brought this idea out, this thought out in the, um, 
in the introduction of the candlelight service last um, Sunday night. And uh, whether I'll do it this coming Christmas Eve, I don't know or not. But her early life, you know, was spent in Nazareth, guys. Mary was probably a poor, hardworking, no doubt a very righteous lady, all right? A very righteous lady. And, and if, again, if you want to study good character, do your best to, to study the, the character of Mary. We see her integrity here. And, and again, you say, well, what, how do we know her integrity? How do we study from her integrity? Well, listen to her. Listen to her. Luke chapter 1 says this in verse um, uh, verse 35, it says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing uh, which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So here the angel makes the annunciation. Luke 1 has the parallel account of what we look in Matthew chapter 1. But look at Mary's response in verse 38. Mary's response in verse 38. And I think I have, yeah, uh, her response in verse 38. Where are we? Yeah, don't have that one up there. So look in your scripture, Luke chapter 1. Yeah, I told you that was an afterthought. So Luke chapter 1, and turn with me. Um, yeah, dude, wait a second. Yeah, what's her response? I got it there for you. First off, we find her submissiveness. She's submissive to the word of God, all right? Submissive to the word of God. Luke one thirty eight says, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 45 says, And blessed is she that believed, uh, for there shall, uh, there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. So again, what do we learn about Mary? We learn, number one, that she's submissive to the word of God. And guys, I'm going to tell you something right now. And I'll give you an example here if you want. If you'll turn over to the book of Acts, see if we can go there real quick. I just want you to see something here. I just want you to see what's uh, just a good example, I think, if you will. Let's see where we are. All right, so where we are, we see. Yeah, so look in Acts chapter uh, 24, Acts chapter 24, and you know the issue here, you know, Paul is being presented, he's in Caesarea, and we're going to start here, if you will, to, uh, at verse 22, I want to give you an example, and this is on the back side of you seeing the identity, the character, if you will, of who Mary is, and number one, she's submissive to the word of God, be it, be it under thy handmaid as they was, what she said, all right, so look at verse 22 of Acts 25, or 24, Acts 24, and when Felix heard these things, Having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred to them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the utmost of your matter. And he commanded the centurion to keep Paul, and he let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or to come unto him. And after, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, all right, which was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith of Christ. And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered, go thy way. For this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Now, why do I read that to you? Because there's more happening there than what is being said. The Bible, Luke, is very, very clear. Felix trembled. Felix is shaking. He's shaken when he preached to him the righteousness, judgment to come, temperance. Felix is a very intemperate man. He's an incontent pervert, what he was. But Drusilla, hard. 
The darts of the gospel, as Paul preached them, ricocheted off her hard, seared heart. And I'm going to tell you something. You look at the integrity of Mary in contrast to the unmovable, seared conscience of Drusilla. I very plain to see this morning the submissiveness of the Word of God comes from a tender, humble, truly humble heart. I'm going to tell you right now, what was it, Spurgeon that said, um, Spurgeon said that, uh, you know, a woman, great is thy power. There's a power that a woman has. She is the, in reality, it's the heartbeat, the thermostat of the home. And your home will be as cold as the wife wants it to be. And I'm not talking about the heater. I'm talking about spiritually. There is nothing more hard, nothing more cold than a woman who has turned her back on the word of God. The hardness of it. It wasn't Mary. She was submissive to the word of God. <laughs> Matter of fact, she didn't even go to Joseph and say, man, I had this crazy dream. <laughs> I can believe what. Submissive, just like that. Be it unto thee, be it unto thy handmaid as I will. Exactly what you said, I, I'm here. I'm nothing. I'm no one. I don't deserve it. I don't need it. But I know the scriptures. I know where I'm from. I know my lineage. And I know the prophet said that a virgin is going to conceive. And I know I'm a virgin. She knew it all. But she was humble enough, tender hearted enough to submit unto the word of God without hesitation and without doubt. So the first thing we see about Mary in her integrity was her submissiveness to the word of God. But I want you to see her faithfulness. She was faithful to the promise of God. I'm going to ask you this morning, how in the world would you have reacted? What would you have said? What would you have done? I mean, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 47 says, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. What would you have said? Without a shadow of a doubt, man, Mary was a righteous Old Testament saint. I mean, she perceived when God's word was truth, when it was spoken, and she praised God forward and went forward. Man, the integrity that she would have had, second to none. So we see her integrity. So we see Mary as a person, all right? So we, we saw that. We're looking at Mary as a person under this conception. We look at her identity. We see her integrity. But I want you to see as Mary to bride, as bride to be here this morning. Mary is bride to be. Now, what the Bible says in, uh, in verse 18, Mary's bride to be. Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together. This is, what, this is really important for us to look at, if you will. So the first thing I want to take a moment is let's look at the bridegroom real quick, the bridegroom. Uh, very little known is about Joseph. He's described um, by a Greek term. It, it, it can be translated carpenter. Uh, he was a hardworking man, uh, uh, identified in verse 19 as having a, you know, he was a righteous man, he was a godly man, he was a just man, we understand that. Uh, and, and like Mary, he was a true Old Testament saint. But notice the background here of where we are and where we are in the midst of this time, the background. Joseph and Mary were, were, were probably young. Bible scholars believe they were probably in their teen years since the uh, marriages were commonly initiated at a very uh, young age. But these two, I, I would say they were probably older teenagers, given, uh, the, you know, well, older teenagers when they were a spouse together, uh, really because of the tremendous maturity that they showed uh, in reality here, the responses that were recorded in scriptures. But the Old Testament and the rabbinical writings, guys, and I, you see one word popped up there already. 
In the Old Testament, the rabbinical writings, they distinguishes two stages to a Hebrew, a Hebrew marriage. One is called the Kiddushin, and you see that up there. The other is called the Chuppah, and we'll get into that one in just a moment. The Kiddushin is the first stage. That is the betrothal period. We, would, we call it today an engagement, okay? Um, and, and you see it mentioned in Deuteronomy 20, verse 7. We won't look at that, but you can just write that down for a later date. If, if two families or two individuals... Uh, Draw a binding, they draw up a binding contract, uh, promise to be married. Uh, dur- during the betrothal period, the contract, if the contract is violated for any reason, in order to break that contract, you have to be illegally divorced. You say, well, wait a second. I, I thought I, this is before they had any physical contact. True. But the Kiddushin was considered a legally binding contract. Even though there was no physical relationship, the period lasted usually about 12 months in duration. And it was a time when the wife, uh, uh, the husband and the wife uh, uh, can, can prove each other's fidelity uh, to one another. Uh, if the girl would become pregnant during this time, uh, uh, showing that either she's been unfaithful or they both did, they broke the, 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 the period there, the time, uh, again, it, it would show potential problems in the marriage and, and all this and that. It was a social contract. It was a legally binding contract. Um, it, so it was a betrothal period. It was a promise, guys. That's where we find, matter of fact, that word is spouse. They were spouse together. That's where we get the word spouse for one another, for a husband or for a wife. Um, but at the end of the betrothal period, end of the spousal period, you have the hoopah. All right, the hoopah is the consummation of the marriage. This is the, once the first stage is completed, the second stage takes place, and uh, that's the actual weddings. And, actual, and, and weddings back then, Jewish weddings, guess how long they took? Do you, you guys remember this in your studies? Seven days. A seven-day wedding, man. Can you imagine that? Seven-day wedding. And there was a load that went on. We're not going to go over all that, but um, you'd have to feed them. you have to provide drink for them. We see that example in the wedding of Cana, which is Jesus Christ's first uh, a miracle of making water into fruit juice. It wasn't fermented because nothing rotten is going to come out of him. If I hear that excuse one more time for people to drink, I think I'm going to pull my hair out or what's left. Uh, but nonetheless, when, it, when, a, when a father would give the daughter away, uh, this wedding time, uh, you know, this wedding time would take place for seven for seven days. Again, that's after a 12-month betrothal period. And this is what we find that even though there wasn't an actual wedding prior to that time, and it's finally consummated physically, this period, this, this condition, this period of testing, a probationary period uh, for the bride's virginity and the husband's fidelity, it only strengthened their marriage. And this is what we find with Mary and Joseph. It was before the, it was, they were espoused one to another. It said Joseph took his wife, but it was before they came together. And he knew not his wife until when? Until after their firstborn son. Amen. And that, that you know, pretty much eliminates the idea that some have the idea that a Mary was a perpetual virgin. She was not. Um, you know, so we find this establishment. What, what does this do? Guys, this again reiterates the integrity of these two people, of both of them. Mary is bride to be. So I want you to see here, and we're just about finished. I want you to see Mary under the same idea of the conception, but I want you to see Mary by the Spirit. All right, she's conceived. She conceives by the Spirit here. And the Bible says that she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 if you're not already there. And we'll finish out the lesson this morning in Luke chapter 1. And I want us to look here in Luke 1 concerning first the appearance, an appearance here. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. 
Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 29, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God under the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph and of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that are highly favored. Now listen, she's highly favored, not exalted above people or women, okay? Keep that in mind. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women, doesn't say above, verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation is this. So here's the first thing we see as Mary is going to be found with child here at a later date. Uh, we see the appearance. Number two, notice the announcement in verse 30. Verse 30, the Bible says here, it says, and, and, and the angel said unto her, uh, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, all right, in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Uh, he shall be great, and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him, and the throne, uh, give unto him the throne of his father. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be seen? I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I mean, what an incredible announcement, man. Can you imagine this? I mean, nobody... I mean, you know, I, I, here's this lady, this little lady. Yes, she's righteous. She's great. Her integrity has already been proven, uh, my soul. But she's out of this little no-name town of Nazareth, or no-name area of Nazareth, and um, she comes pregnant. Uh, poor Joseph didn't know what in the world to do until the angel appeared unto him. And, and, you know, I mean, just imagine the whirlwind of what was going on. You know, imagine that angel coming to her. I mean, I, I can see her humility. She didn't blink when, the, when they told her, hey, look, this is what's going to happen. She said, whatever you want to do, do it. I'm with you. But can you imagine her dismay? I mean, I don't know if she was sitting around planning her wedding party or wedding dresses or bridesmaid. I don't know what she was doing. I do know this. I do know that as the angel visited her when Gabriel came down and made the announcement, what followed was the adoration. It was the adoration. Look in verse 39. And the Bible says, And Mary arose in those days and went unto a hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zechariah and saluted Elizabeth. And as it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Guys, the virgin birth, man. The virgin birth is the central theme of Christianity. If you remove that, you say, well, preacher, what can be removed to change? Nothing can be removed. And I know there's people who have different ideas and different thoughts, and, and there's people who believe in a works-based salvation and a kingdom-based uh, salvation. There's people who are amillennial, which is demonic, uh, people who are mid-trib, which is ridiculous. But I, I understand all of those things. But, guys, I'm telling you right now, uh, the gospel, our eternal salvation, our security today is seated on the foundational truth that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, and Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit of God and remained to be that virgin until Jesus was born. 
And then after that, the consummation of their marriage, her marriage with Joseph. So guys, I just want to, I just want to bring this thought to you this morning because I, I do think in this Christmas season, you know, uh, we, t- we just, we, we hear about it, we read about it so much that we tend to overlook it. And yet we got a population of the world today that has a majority of people who don't believe in the virgin birth. I'm going to tell you this and make it very clear today, and then I'll close in prayer. If you do not, choose not, or cannot believe in the virgin birth, you do not, choose not, or cannot believe in salvation by Jesus Christ. Hands down. Will you bow your heads this morning? Father, thank you. For the opportunity you've given us, thank you for this time to be together today. I pray that you take your message, write it upon our hearts, Lord. Lead God and direct us by wisdom today. I pray that you give us a blessed week, safety on the roads. Bring us back, Lord, for Christmas Eve night. Bless our service coming up this Christmas Eve, I pray. I pray that, that many would be in attendance, Father. They would hear the precious gospel. I pray the seed would be planted, Lord, and ultimately we pray that souls would be saved. We ask these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, and believe in thine heart 
that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.